All right, let's pick up. We are nearing the end of this. Again, this course has been entitled uh, Effective or Effectual Bible Study. And uh, we've talked multiple times. What is the point of Bible study? And again, just, just knowing what it says is not the whole thing. Obviously, we want to go through the whole cycle, and it, it's transformative in its approach. How many of you have ever seen, maybe you've done it yourself, I have, especially when I was younger in the faith. How many of you have ever heard somebody uh, give reason why they're doing a particular thing? Um, and by the way, they may be doing a good thing, but their usage of the scriptures is sketchy at best in defense of what they're doing. Anybody ever heard anybody do that? Or... Uh, in fact, we could do an exercise. I was going to do this. I don't think we will. But if I just said, all right, let's say I'm seeking the Lord's direction for tomorrow. And I had everybody just flip your Bible open and point to a verse. And then we'll all read it, what we, what we all came up with. I think we'd end up with a confused spectacle. And uh, there are some who try to determine the Lord's direction almost in that way. It's almost a happenstance. Bible fell open my heart burned, or I had a feeling, or uh, sometimes, though, that's based on, not on what the, the passage is actually saying, uh, which tells us the mind of the Lord. It's based on something else. Um, so, again, our, our goal in this is to make a, have a right understanding, which leads us to a right application. Um, application of the Scriptures is not haphazard, it's intended to change our lives in the way that God intended. And again, it's not just a once-in-a-while thing. It's intended to be an ongoing thing. Uh, we've talked about, at length, observation and interpretation. Observing things in passages. And we ask those six who, what, when, where, why, how. Um, ask those questions of the text. Get an idea of who it's written to, why it was written. What's the idea behind it? What's the, what dispensation were the people living in? Does that matter? It does matter in huge sections of the Old Testament so that we can make a proper application. But we have to observe, we have to interpret it properly and figure out what does this passage mean. So those steps lead us to discovering new truths. Not new in the sense of nobody's ever known them, but new in the sense of helping, our, helping to grow our body of Christian understanding. Um, because of the intellectual stimulation of the study process, it's easy to become enamored with the process and forget to move on to application of God's truth. In other words, it's exciting discovering new things in the Scriptures. And I think uh, different people with different intellectual bents maybe, uh, there's some that are absolutely fascinated with prophecy. And there's some that are absolutely... In fact, uh, I knew a pastor in Alaska that was uh, fascinated with uh, things like the order of the march, the marching order of the tribes of Israel. I mean, he could tell you which tribe went in what order when they marched across the desert. And I remember being at a dinner with him, and another gentleman looked at him like, huh? And he said, oh, it's fascinating to me. And so he could tell you the exact order, their marching order, because he just, he was really into that sort of thing. There's nothing wrong with that. But we have to be careful that it's not just strictly the accumulation of facts. It's not just, wow, that's fascinating, or wow, that's interesting, or way, hey, I can weigh in on this conversation. Um, God gave His Word so that we could know Him and live for Him. That's the purpose for Bible study. Now, we haven't finished Bible study in a particular area until we've applied the Word of God to our lives. So, number one in this, application 
is essential. The way the Bible's written, it demands application. Basically, application is determining if and how a passage should change my life or change your life. Uh, God designed the Bible to be a life-changing book, not merely a treasury of religious information. Now, early on, we looked at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, one of those foundational passages. That's One of the passages that says directly, the Bible is inspired. It's God-breathed, and it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. And you look at those areas, doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, those prepare us to serve the Lord more fully when we study the scriptures in order to apply them. And all those steps are important. In fact, we illustrated, if you remember, walking through several passages, a lot of Bible passages follow that exact cycle. There's doctrine, then there's reproof, then there's correction, and that's instruction, and then there's instruction in righteousness. Many passages follow that cycle. They show layout. In fact, uh, the epistles do that most of the time. Here's what is correct doctrine. That's the foundation that's laid. Okay, then he points out this, don't do this, 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 this. Don't do these things. And then the scriptures always give us the, the thing to do. God never tells us to just stop. We always replace it with something proper. That's true in our thinking. It's true in habits. It's true anywhere in the Christian life. God didn't just say quit that and leave a vacuum. He says stop this and put this in its place. So that gives us the correction. Don't do this, do this. And then the instruction in righteousness is building us up uh, in our walk up by faith. All right, now what is... Uh, 1 Corinthians 8.1, Paul says, Knowledge puffeth up. What do you think about that statement? What did, what did he mean by that? Now what he was talking about in the context was the liberty they had to eat things that some of them had, had been offered to idols and some of them had a clear conscience in that. And he makes the statement, he says, their knowledge puffeth up. What, is he, what do you think he means by that? Is Paul saying knowledge is bad? Is he saying don't learn, that we should all strive to be ignorant so that we're humble? All right, what do you think he meant? What, is, what, is, what does it mean to be puffed up? Proud, yeah, but it's just, just exactly like it sounds. Why would he say knowledge puffeth up? Makes us feel important. Makes us feel important, definitely. So what else? Makes us feel important, makes us feel smarter than somebody else, right? Um, do you think Paul had in mind there, though, a certain kind of knowledge or maybe a type of knowledge that didn't have anything else attached to it. You get what I'm saying? I think what he was disparaging was knowledge alone without living out what that knowledge was intended to produce. All it does is puff us up. So he's not against knowledge, obviously. Uh, the Bible has a lot of good things to say about knowledge. But what he's warning about is be careful of just being a depository of correct answers while I myself don't do anything about the answers that I know. Um, I think at James 1.22... 
I think we all know the verse. He says, but be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Not hearers only. Being a hearer is a good thing. Um, the Lord said it. He that hath ears to hear. Um, so being a hearer there, I don't think it's just a passing, oh yeah, I got it. But it's talking about somebody who actually listens, internalizes, and understands. But James is saying that's not far enough. Don't just understand it. Don't just get it. Do something about it. Don't just be a hearer. Be a doer. Uh, let it transform you. Choose to let it transform you. Uh, James, in fact, let's turn there. James 2, 18 and 19. I know these are familiar verses, but there's some tremendous principles in here that... I, I will tell you candidly, the human nature is a scary thing. Uh, the longer I preach and, and uh, am forced to grapple with that theologically and in my own life, the more I realize what a terrifying adversary the flesh is. But it's a frightening thing as a preacher that you very much can have the propensity to teach things and understand things and it's possible to let your heart get jaded to where there's this sense of a, a salved conscience because you know the right answer, even if you don't do it. It's a scary thing. I think probably some of us to some degree have found the longer you're a Christian, maybe the more you find that's true. That There were things that when you were newly saved, there's not a chance you would ever come close to it. Now maybe... Maybe growth and maturity gave you a different perspective, and I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about maybe there's borderline things now that we can look at and say, well, yeah, I know I shouldn't go that way. And somehow we can convince ourselves it's okay now because I know better. James is saying, wait a minute. It doesn't do me any good to know better if I don't do better. It doesn't do me any good. Um, James 2, 8, 19, or 2, 18 and 19. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Of course, the discussion here is that true faith produces works. Then he says something amazing. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. So what James is talking about here is genuine faith actually changing in response to the Scriptures is an out cropping of real faith. True faith produces change. I mean, now you think, this is a frightful thing, and I, and I think we have to be careful with this question because the devil's a twister. But do you think the devil knows the Bible better than we do this morning? I mean, in one sense, he's a deceiver and a liar. And he doesn't have spiritual light. But as far as knowing the text... There's no question he does. No question at all. I find it astounding when he comes against the Son of God, he has the audacity to use the Psalms to Christ to try to get him to throw himself off the pinnacle of the temple. He actually quotes Scripture 
omits one little section that changes everything, but he actually uses the Bible to get him to do it. It's an amazing thing. So if you think, what, what good is knowledge of the Bible if it's not lived out? Well, it's wasted. If I don't respond to it, it's not, it's not producing its intended change. I think it's a frightening thing. If you put the average demon through, uh, gave him the exit exam at one of the major theological universities, they would all ace the exam. They know the answers. They're familiar with the arguments. Um, they're familiar with nuances of this position and that position. They could argue both sides of who wrote Hebrews, even though they already know. But my point is, they have this. They have the smarts. I don't know if you've... I guess it shocked me the first time I ran into this. Maybe some of you have seen this. But I... I've run into people over the course of my Christian life, thankfully not many, that are extremely intelligent. And man, do they know the Bible. I mean, they go head-to-head -head with the major theologians on equal par in complicated discussions. But boy, come to find out, there's some serious evil going on. Um... Oh boy, I think of a gentleman in Alaska, older guy who wrote articles for a Israel My Glory. It just, I mean, he seemed like a fruitful, wonderful old gentleman. And uh, boy, was he hiding some stuff. I went to prison last I heard. Should have gone to prison. But he had the knowledge, he had the head knowledge. He could sit and spout it out and he could talk about the glories of Christ and the riches of heaven and the dispensational position of the Jews. And he was familiar with all the historic theological positions concerning Israel's national future and he'd get excited talking about it. Just hiding a purely evil life. Unbelievable. But demons, <laughs> demons know the Bible. And so James is saying don't don't have just that kind of faith. He says in verse four, seven, in chapter 4, 17, To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Basically saying when now, there's a particular discussion going on there, but as a general principle, when we're convinced something's right scripturally and we just decide, eh. And now there's a difference. There's times where we don't, we're wrestling with it. We all have those moments where you're like, Lord, I don't want to misstep... But when we know, we know the mind of the Lord in an area and just say, eh, uh, that, that's, that's dangerous turf. So the Word of God is intended to direct our lives. I think we, we all know, whoa, they're, they're wonderful verses. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I bet everyone can quote them in their sleep, right? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on what? Thine own understanding. What, is, what are ways we, lean on, we can lean on our own understanding? I think there's a lot of them, but what are some ways? There's, help me out here. We're, I think there's a lot of them. I can tell you a lot of my own failures. Maybe pushing something 
you want it to be the Lord's will, it's not really the Lord's will. Mm. So, you mean we can do that? Yeah. Oh, boy. How about when we say, well, I know what the Bible says, but I don't see how that'll work. Oh, boy, have I heard that one over the years. I think I, I've said that. Now, I wouldn't say it. Somebody may not say it just like that. It, it'll sound a lot more flowery. And I think when I've done it, it sounds more and more. It sounds, but, but then it, it's great to have a Christian brother that'll say, do you know what you just said? You just said if you obey God... It's not going to work. That's, that's what you just No, yeah, that's exactly what you just said. It's good to have friends who help us boil things down to the, the theological basis of what we're saying. Um, how else? How about we it's just, well, kind of what you said, uh, Rachel, that I just want this, and so I'm going to cram the door open, and, and uh, boy, I found, in fact, Will and I were talking about this morning, I, the Lord is the God who opens and shuts doors. Boy, I've had some dandy slammed in my face, and I can look back and thank God for it. But there's been times I can look back and see that God in His goodness gave me certain things because I was stubborn, and I wouldn't let off because I was just insisted on having it. And I think God sometimes in His goodness will give those, and I may look back and go, yeah, that probably wasn't the best thing. Um, but essentially, leaning on my own understanding is rejecting the written word of God and the right understanding of it in favor of anything else. What I see, what I think, what I feel, um, it's, uh, it amazes me in, in conversations. You know, people not even here, you know, I'll have conversations with people elsewhere, extended family or whatever it is. How often an errant position is defended based on experience. Well, I'm not going to do that because this happened when I was growing up. Or I'm not going to do that because I knew a person that did whatever. Now let me ask you something. Are there bad examples of everything, any authority position or any command in the scriptures, are there people that take those in a wrong way and trade? Sure there are. There's, there's all kinds. But does that give you and I the freedom to just jettison what the scripture says? Um, I mean, are there, are there bad fathers in the world? There are. Do we throw out what the scriptures say? No. Are there bad pastors? Lots of them. Are there any perfect ones? No. But do we just ignore the scriptures? So uh, it's very easy in this day and age of postmodern thinking to just say, well, I basically have a better idea than the Lord. And uh, Proverbs says, don't, do, don't lean on your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. In other words, Submission is key to guidance. It, when I'm asking for the Lord's direction, I'd better be submitted in every known, I'm saying known area because there's, I, there's always things we're not aware of. In every known area, if I'm clinging to my own direction and understanding somewhere while I'm asking for direction, I, I, God has to break through that wall. <laughs> and I have to let Him. And all thy ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct thy paths. All right, so application of the scriptures is going to require change. If we're going to make pointed application, eventually we're going to either do something about it or we're going to stop trying to apply it. The heat's going to get too hot. You take the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. It's, uh, which, again, I, I, uh, I want to highlight, oftentimes the Great Commission is made synonymous with evangelism. 
Evangelism does not equal the Great Commission. Evangelism is part of the Great Commission. The Great Commission is disciple-making. Belief, baptism, instruction, and righteousness, which is an ongoing process. I think churches sometimes get... It, it's all about... It's wonderful to reach the lost, don't get me wrong, but that's part of it. But the Great Commission is building up disciples... That means the goal is every person in Christ, the goal is for them to be a disciple of Christ, an actual follower of His in practical life. And of course, a disciple becomes like their master in thought and action. That's what happens when we're uh, being sanctified. Uh, Romans 8.29 tells us we're predestinated to be conformed to the image of Christ, our master. That means it's a glorious thing. It will happen. There is not one saved person truly saved person on the earth that will not be completely conformed to the image of Christ finally. Oh, what a glorious thing that is, isn't it? Uh, how many of you look forward to being done with the battles? Done with this warfare? I wonder, I don't know, we're going to be so changed, but you, know, you ever wonder if the first moments in heaven, it's going to take you a while to put your guard down? I, I, I probably not, because our, our whole, everything will be changed, but you're so used to having to guard thought, speech, action, motive, search your heart, look for sin. I mean, it's a constant war. And to be in a state before the Lord where that's gone. Uh, so every one of us will be conformed to the image of Christ, finally. But the Lord wants to do that now. And He wants us to progress. This is preparation uh, for eternity. Uh, God has marked out our final destiny, but... We are to strive for that destination every day through application of the Scripture. So, again, you have to be careful in that. We're not keeping salvation. We're not earning salvation. All right, true or false statement? The more sanctified I am, the more God loves me. Is that a true statement? Isn't it true sometimes, though, we, we think that way if we're not careful? God will never love you more. He can't. It's not about that. It's out of a desire to please Him and want to be like Him that we put in the effort. Uh, in fact, let's turn, turn to 2 Corinthians with me. What is 2 Corinthians This reminds me of uh, Jim Berg's well-known book, Change News Image. In fact, we might be doing that in the near future. Um, I brought it with me on this trip to, well, I haven't left yet. It's in my bags to go on this trip, I should say, uh, to peruse. Um, but, all right, 2 Corinthians 3.18 but we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass or a mirror the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. All right, so what is it that we behold that changes us? If you've, if you've gone through Pilgrim's Progress, you remember the statement, beholding is becoming. At least I think that's directly quoted in there. We're, we behold the glory of the Lord in the Scriptures, and as we do so, as we behold Him, not ourselves, but Him, uh, we are being changed. It's a process. It doesn't happen overnight, even though we wish it did.
By the way, let me say something on that too. I, I have to remind myself this. I, I tend to be a lineal thinker and I'll get my list of stuff that I, I, wanna, I, I, I wanna accomplish this, 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 and half the time this, this, and this take as long as I thought this would take. Whether it's organizing the garage or whatever. Um, I think we have to remember in our sanctification that God designed it to be a process on purpose. On purpose. He delights in processes. And he's not just tapping his foot frustrated, saying, will you hurry up and die so you can be sanctified? I, I know we wouldn't verbalize it that way, but we have to take the totality of the scriptures. Yes, the Lord wants us to grow. Yes, we should be further along. But at the same time, God delights in watching us grow. Just like a parent, you're watching your child grow. Are they going to grow up? Yes. Are there times where you're thinking you could act a little older than you? Are there, yes, there's times like that. But yet, are you, am I taking little Timmy and shaking him, saying, will you hurry up and grow up? No, I'm not. Because I understand it's a process. So be encouraged that God delights to watch you grow over time. He did that on purpose. He knows you will not be completed into glory. He, likes, he wants to watch you grow. And he knows it's going to take time. All right, 1 Peter 1.13. I don't think we'll turn there for sake of time, but um, he tells us to be holy as the Lord is holy. I mean, on one hand, again, we have to be careful theologically here. There's all kinds of, there's ditches on both sides of this. There's people that would say, well, you're never going to be perfect on this earth, so just relax. And what they mean is, make excuse for sin because everybody's a sinner. That leads people to antinomianism or, well, I don't care. God's just going to forgive me anyway. That's not right. Uh, but the other hand is, I mean, there's all kinds of other hands, I guess. There's sinless perfectionism. I've, I've had friends that look me in the face and tell me, you know, I haven't sinned in 13 years. I just thank God. And uh, if you've ever been to a testimony meeting like that, boy, I tell you, you're missing something. I'm sitting in a room full of perfect people. It's pretty intimidating. I don't mean to be unkind. I love them. They're dear saints. They're just very misguided on what the idea, what, what sin is biblically. They don't know themselves very well, apparently. So we're not going to become absolutely holy, but at the same time, there's sin is never God's fault. Compromise is never God's fault. My own, if, if I'm not growing... Um, it's not God's fault, not other people's fault. God's given me the means to grow. I'm either not ingesting or not doing what I'm, I'm not, I'm not there, there's some disconnect in my own life if I'm not growing. Now, there are times where we may look and say, I don't, I'm not growing, and we're wrong. Um, think of a plant. What, what's the most important part of a plant is happening where? It's underground. You don't, in fact, the root structure better be pretty big before the top structure is. And if you say, well, the, they're underground, who cares? I'll tell you who cares. When the wind blows, you better have a root system. So God, a lot of times, when we feel like we're growing the snail's pace, it's deeper roots are being struck. We're being prepared for things to come. So we can't hang our head and be downcast over that. Um, again, he's a God who delights in processes. But... 
Since we can't become absolutely holy in a practical sense while walking in this earth, does that give us an excuse not to grow? Of course not. Um, in fact, let's just turn there. 2 Peter 2. 2 Peter 2. I'm sorry, 1 Peter 2, not 2. 1 Peter really gives a great balance in that of um, showing both sides of that, our sanctification and growth, but yet the call to be holy. Uh, 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speaking. Now, who's, who has to do that? The way it's written. We have to do that. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk, milk of the word that ye may grow thereby, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So he's saying keep growing. Keep nourishing yourself in the word of God. And separate from evil as much as lies with us. I, we all know, you've heard me say it, uh, uh, but let's not get jaded. It is easier to corrupt our soul via audio and video than it has ever been. And really that's terrifying on two fronts. One is the sheer amount of the sin that's out there. Two is how easy it is. You know what third is? How secret it can be. How secret it can be. You don't even have to seek it out. You don't. 50 years ago, 60 years ago, for somebody to go look at pornography or something, they had to kind of hang their head and go into a gas station It, have you read statistics lately on how many kids are hooked on pornography? And By the way, you parents, unregulated internet is the dumbest thing you can ever have in your house. It may be dumber, but I can't think of any. And as the kids started, they better be filtered. You know, we with ours, he, he, we finally, finally got him a smartphone. I was going to get a dumb phone, one of the flip phones, but it was actually easier to... Uh, and, and I don't... He's 18 now, and he has the same restrictions I have. Um, it's annoying sometimes. There's a, just a few websites allowed on my iPhone. I don't want unrestricted internet in my pocket. Is it because I'm holy? No, it's because I'm not. Because the cesspool that I'm carrying around with me, I don't trust me for years to have that in my pocket. I don't. I, the prudent man perceives the evil and items hides himself. So accountability is a very good thing. Uh, if we get to the point where I don't want anybody looking at what I'm doing, that should be red flags going up and asking why, 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 what, what am I hiding? So putting off evil, putting off unholiness is massive. It's always been massive, but today it's just hurled at us constantly. Even uh, any of you marvel, I, I do. I, 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 of course, music was my drug um, when I was not walking with the Lord and I was younger and as a teenager and it was, it was very much my, one of my drugs, my addictions. And watching the shift, even at grocery, remember what grocery stores played 30 years ago? Sleepy elevator music, you know, or nothing. Gas stations, nothing. Now you go to most stores, now they have speakers, and a lot of them have speakers in the parking lot. And every time I walk out, I'm thinking, what is the point of that? 
Yeah, most of them are anymore. They've got them outside, and I'm like, I don't understand that. I don't get it. I guess something. But I think it's just the world system can't stand the sound of its own conscience. I really think that's what it is. I don't think most verbalize like that, but they just can't stand to hear their own conscience. And so the noise has to be everywhere. It's amazing, the shift. Um, <clears throat> All right, so God wants us wholly set aside for His service. A holy life is pure because it's focused on pleasing God. It's uh, taking Him with me everywhere, in a sense. All right, now, we already went through 2 Corinthians 3.18. Changed, being changed into his image as we behold his glory. Now, who's the agent of change mentioned there? Well, it's the Holy Spirit. And of course, Galatians tells us, walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And I will tell you, that's... Maybe you found... I, I, uh, in fact, I heard a great... In fact, I was sitting in a... When I was in Idaho hunting, I'm sitting there in a, in a turkey blind, which was dressed in camel and stuffed inside of a big thorn bush, and you get there early enough in the afternoon, and it's, you know, it's probably 65, perfect weather. And you just wait for a bird to show up. And so I had a, I had a sermon going in one ear. <laughs> and I was listening for gobbles with the other ear. And I listened to a really good message on walking in the Spirit. And one of the things he said was, you know, there's different reactions to that. Sometimes older Christians especially, they've been, been, been saved for a while, They'll look at that. They're not going to deny the truthfulness of that statement, but, but inwardly they're thinking, that doesn't work for me. Somehow I don't. And so it's an encouragement that does work for us. It's a growth process. There's no question about it. But it's a discipline to be cognizant of the presence of God and it's something we have to cultivate. And it's cultivated, I think, most through continual prayer. Um, sin, when sin, when should sin be dealt with? Not... Not at night before bed. Yeah, that's a great thing, but I don't think we should wait all day long. We should, when should, we should confess sin when we're aware of it. Because the minute I'm aware of sin, I'm out of fellowship with God if I leave it. Because I've basically said this isn't important enough to deal with. And what does it mean deal with it? I don't mean you have to come to church and come here to the front of the building. But you can right there confess to the Lord the sin and, and thank Him for His cleansing and uh, be on, on board with him. So anyway, Galatians gives the list there, lust of the flesh, the works of the flesh, and the walking in the Spirit. And of course, the difference is uh, night and day. It replaces corruption with the fruit of the Spirit. <clears throat> so as we don't walk in the Spirit, we will show the works of the sinful nature. That, that's basically all there is. We have, you know, you and I have two natures, and just to review, your sin nature did not change a bit when you came to Christ. It wasn't diminished. It wasn't sanctified. It wasn't changed in character one lick. You were handed a given a new nature. The new nature only wants to please God. That's it. Your new nature only wants to please God. Your old nature hates God and only wants to oppose Him. Those are our two natures. And neither one of them will change. The new nature is powerless. It wants to do right, but it lacks the power. There, that's why we need to walk in the Spirit. <clears throat> so the words Christ-like, holy, and spiritual, they're basically describing what God wants us to become. They're not synonyms exactly, but they're given some of the same ideas. They point towards change, 
because salvation and then our Christian growth involves transformation. So when we study the scriptures, we need to pray that God will meet our needs from his word and help us to become Christ-like, holy, spiritual people. In other words, again, the goal is not... I, I, I get it. There's times where all of us go to the scriptures because we should, right? Um, I'll admit that that's, that's been my experience many on many occasions. It's not... There, there's days where I can't wait to get in the Word. There's days where I do it because I need to. Rather, I tell my flesh, be quiet. It doesn't matter what you feel like doing. Uh, we're going we're gonna to go to the Bible now. And I think God is pleased with that choice of discipline. But the goal is to draw near to Him. The goal is to be like Him. The goal is, I always like to think of the Scriptures like a banquet table. It's not a, it's not a club. And uh, we really, I, I try, I, I, hope I, I hope I'm doing better at it. You grow in these things as parents, but we want to teach our children to have daily Bible reading time. But I try, the older I get, the more I try to make it, have you been to God's banquet table? Rather than, did you have your Bible reading time? Because the difference is as wide as the sea. One of them becomes the motivation is I do it so my parents don't, lecture me, and, and what that does is transfer into their understanding of God. I do it so God's not mad at me. Instead of, I do it because my heavenly Father wants to feed me. He wants fellowship with me. Hey, even in correcting my sin, it's for His glory and my good because He loves me. And so, it's, it's a good thing. We have to remember that. Again, the flesh and the devil, boy, they're going to try to give you every wrong motivation in the world. Yeah, go ahead and read your Bible. Otherwise, God's going to kick you in the head. Mm -hmm. Where'd that come from? It's not the Holy Spirit's voice. Not at all. Um, all right, so application, though, is methodical to a point. I don't mean we're robots. But just like the first steps of Bible study, observation, interpretation, application can do the same thing. So we don't want to rush off in all directions when applying the Word of God. We have to apply it carefully and thoughtfully, carrying out the passage in accordance with its purpose. Uh, and he gives the illustration here. Consider the difference between a screwdriver and a hammer. Um, both in your toolbox, both important tools, but they do very, very different things. So... One portion of the scriptures might be designed to produce one particular aspect of sanctification. Another portion accomplishes another work of sanctification. And the tone. There's, some of Paul's writings is beseech, spiritual begging. It's out of this heart of love and affection. I'm, I'm pleading with you to do this for the Lord's sake. And other passages have more of an authoritative thou shalt or else. Um, those tones themselves are inspired. We need to apply the Word of God on a passage-by-passage -passage basis as it was intended to be applied. And again, the more, the better we get at that, and it's a lifelong process. It's not something we have figured out in a day. The more we become, the more our mind is shaped. Remember the Christian minds, the Christian life is lived in the mind. This is the battle right here. This is it. This is where it's won and lost. And the more this penetrates and cleanses and shapes, the more this reflects the mind of the Lord. 
And I think of the proverb, I love that pattern. I, remember, I still don't remember which verse. I think it's in Proverbs 4, but I don't, don't quote me on that. The path of the just is as the shining light. It shineth more and more into the perfect day. It doesn't mean trials stop. It doesn't mean things are always easy, but it means that there are areas that become clearer and clearer and clearer the longer I walk with God. There's certain good things that become almost automatic because I know the Scripture says it, and my life's been conformed to it, and they become, I don't want to say an autopilot, but to a point, there's the longer we walk with God. You know, I like a, the way J. Vernon McGee put it about Elijah, or Elisha the prophet, I'm sorry, Elijah, when he was carried off to heaven, that Elijah just walked with God, and eventually the Lord said, well, Elijah, we're closer to my house than yours, why don't you just come home with me? <laughs> that's, such a, that's such a McGee way to put it. But it's this continual drawing near to the Lord through His Word. Um, so again, a passage of Scripture has how many meanings? How many legitimate meanings? One. Now, we may not know what that is sometimes. It has one legitimate meaning. Once that meaning's determined, how many applications can it have? It can have, it can have a lot. If we get the meaning right, this is what this is saying, and to who and why, and out from that, oh boy, that applies to this and this and this and this. And you see the New Testament writers do this all the time. If you watch how Paul or uh, the Lord brought forth Old Testament passages and taught on them, they were taking them in their context and applying them. Now granted, they did it sometimes, adding new truth under the inspiration of the Spirit. But a lot of the time, it was just making a proper application of it. Uh, that's what got Stephen Stone, by the way. He got to the application section of his sermon and drew the net and dropped the hammer. And they did not like that very much uh, because he rightly interpreted those passages. Oh, we're almost out of time. Well, we better stop. I have a tendency to go late all the time, so... Um, any further questions or comments? Um, one of the passages that's been, sometimes when I get on one, I stay on it because I forget it. As soon as after I read it, but uh, in Psalm 5, it says, uh, My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee, and will look up, you know, like what you said about not waiting until, yeah. which I fall short of that, especially working. Yep. I can't get up so early, and then yep. I gotta go, and next thing I know I gotta leave, and then the day gets away from me, and I'm tired when I get home, and it just, yeah. it's so easy to just not do anything. And the Lord understands our mind needs to be focused on things that aren't necessarily Bible study, because there are a lot of jobs, if you're not there mentally, you can't honor the Lord at your job, you know. And he understands that. Uh, I, I, I have the same battle. There's times I'm on a project, especially parts of construction, like I've mentioned before, if I'm doing a laminate floor, my mind can be in sermon land all day for the most part. But if I'm doing cabinet design work or some complicated, tricky, you know, bookcase wrapping around beams and going around corners or fireplace mantles, my mind has to be locked in all day. And at the end of the day, sometimes I feel like, man, barely thought about the Lord today. But there's a sense we, we have to think about our work. But yeah, the, the fellowship part, that's the big thing. The fellow, God wants fellowship with us. 
And that's what he's after with confessing sin. It's not, I want your list checked off. It's, I want to be close to you. And if I regard iniquity in my heart, I'm not, if I'm hanging on to it, no, Lord, I'm not going to confess this. That's a different matter than if I don't know about it. I think there's always things we don't know about. Mm -hmm. You know, and yeah. but the other part too that you, you mentioned before, like we think God's mad at us. Yeah. And that's, so it, and that's the devil keeping us from... Hugely. Do you know, John's words in, uh, in the book of 1 John, when he says, if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. And I think what he's talking about is sometimes we have these undefined condemnations. And I think some of you know what I'm talking about. There, there's time you, you feel like you're in God's doghouse and you have no idea of any sin, anything that's unconfessed, anything you're unwilling to do. And you ask, Lord, show me. And, and there's nothing. And John is saying, listen, the Lord knows all things. He's greater than your heart. <laughs> your standing in Christ isn't changed and your fellowship with God is not based on feeling. I find that encouraging because I'm one of those people that tends to be maybe too analytical. And uh, I always tend to assume I did something wrong somewhere, somehow. I, I always tend to assume that about everything. And the Lord's helped me to have a right perspective. But in that, we can lose sight of our standing in Christ. That I wake up under sunny skies every morning. God loves me. He's already seeing me finished in eternity. He wants to fellowship. He wants to guide me. He's already got works prepared for me to do. I don't have to go find them. And yes, amen. Amen, amen. So it, not hanging on to sin and not confessing it's vastly different than truly having no idea and feeling condemnation for no reason. That's where I say, no, there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ. This is my standing, and I'm going to... Um, I, by the way, I, like, I think some of you heard me mention it. I've shared it with some of the men before that... Uh, at least Martin Lloyd Jones. Uh, he's I didn't agree with him on everything, but he wrote, wrote some tremendous stuff. And one of the things he dealt with was spiritual depression and the depths of it. And one of the statements he talks about there is he said he's told people he said your problem is you spend too much time listening to yourself and not enough time talking to yourself. Meaning, like the psalmist takes his he, he says he's 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 questioning himself, saying why art thou disquieted within me, O my soul? Hope thou in God. So he's taking charge of his own heart and mind and saying, now you listen here. This is what God says, and that's true. And I'm not going to sit here and listen to my sin nature berate me. I'm going to talk to myself instead of listening to myself. And I thought, man, that's a good piece of counsel. It really has helped me. Um, anybody else? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you that you care for us. And Lord... I thank you that you are both infinitely holy and to be feared, but tender and compassionate and near. And you care. And you care about each one of us as much as if we were the only ones alive, ever. I thank you that we can have all of you that we ever want. I thank you, Lord, that an eternity will not just be one of the mass but we will have an individual fellowship with our Creator, our Savior, our Lord and Redeemer. Help us, Lord, to have a balance of not making excuse for sin and not, not treating it lightly, but also not, not carrying guilt that 
we shouldn't be carrying because it's totally crippling. And Lord, you know my tendency to do that. And ultimately, it's dishonoring what you've said. I thank you that you've made us to be seated in the heavenlies and placed us in Christ. And that means that if we're in Christ, we have just as much as right to be in heaven as he does. And Lord, you've said that, not us. Help us to take you at your word and walk boldly and in holiness. In Jesus' name, amen.